you can be a daughter and a wife and a rapper and someone who does yoga, but also, like, I curse when I do motivational... You know, like, you don't have to be any one thing because there's no way that's possible. We are all many things at the same time. is Syrah? Maybe a better question is, who isn't she? The budding hip-hop artist, producer, director, and lyricist talked with me last week, and she was an absolute joy. She's collaborated with big-name artists like Demi Lovato, Skrillex, and Lupe Fiasco, among many, many others, and she's starting to make a name for herself as well. In this episode of the AddictionUnscripted.com podcast, we talked about getting sober young and not a moment too soon, the gifts of recovery, and how to keep that flame burning even at three in the morning. Oh, and we laughed a lot too. (laughs) Have a seat. We've got a story for you. You're a musician. Um... It's unmanageable. It sounds kind of amazing, though. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you messaged me at, what, 6 a.m. and said, you know, I'm going to be in the studio a little longer. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Should I buy stock in Red Bull? Like, what? what's happening here? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> how do you Motivation do it? How, how, like, how, how do you do it? Honestly, I don't really know because a lot of times when I make music, too, people are like doing whatever they're doing. And that's obviously not what I'm doing. Uh (laughs) Yeah. There's been moments where they're like, wait, you're not high. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, nope, nope. This is just, this is me. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's my go-to also. I have, I've got a homeboy who's always telling me like, well, if you're not having fun, then why are you sober? Exactly. If you can't enjoy, yeah. If if you can't enjoy your sobriety, and if you can't, you know, get into as much trouble, if not more, then why did you quit? Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I found that out for myself as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, I spent most of this morning like listening to your music, and um, I I love it. Um, You're so vibrant. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, really, really enjoy your work. Um, I I wanted to ask you a couple of like nerdy music questions. Um, Okay, I'm so excited about this. Yeah, this is all I talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start with your name. Um, this is not your, not your birth name. This is your stage name. So where did you, where did you come up with this? When I was, I think like 15, 16, I did graffiti and my real name is Sarah. Um, but I was like, the cops will never figure this out <laughs> if I write this name, Sarah. And so I thought I was, like, really clever because I changed, like, two letters. And I was like, they'll never know it's me. And so that's how I got that name is that I loved my own name, but I wanted something close to that. And then the funny thing is that I found out later was that Syra actually means the well of God. No big deal. So. Oh, wow. Well, that's a perfect fit yeah. then. And just kind of yeah. stuck with you. Um, when you when you meet somebody new, do you introduce? I mean, I, I've got to ask. Like, do you introduce yourself as Syrah or? 
it really depends where I'm at, but mainly pretty much everyone calls me like Sai. So uh-huh. yeah, I usually do. Sometimes I confuse people because I'm like, hi, I'm Sarah, 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 right? <laughs> well of God. And nice like, to meet you. <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, Puff Daddy. With <laughs> names. All right. You just be you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it really depends. But mostly, yeah, like even my best friends call me Sai. So that's awesome. Yeah, speaking of Puff Daddy and his many incarnations. Um, I love this already. No, um, Well, you're kind of an anomaly um, in, you know, not just in the, the music business as like a, young, a younger woman and a woman and not black and not a dude. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, and, and I think you absolutely deserve, you know, all of the recognition that you have and more, you know, like I said, I, I think your music is super vibrant. You have this wonderful energy and, um, you know, unlike some other female rappers who will remain nameless, um, you're, you're not impersonating anybody, you know, you're not impersonating Biggie, you know, you're very obviously doing your own thing. Um, Claire, I want to keep you and oh. put you in, like in my bio and, like, oh, happy. and when so I don't feel sweet. good, like I just want to pull you out. Oh. <laughs> no, I was thinking about that Iggy Azalea lyric, like about studied the Carter, and yeah, she clearly has studied it, and um, yes. that comes through loud and clear. Um, that trick is working for her, and she's going to ride it all the way to the bank. But like your act is um, way more multifaceted. Um, you've collaborated with with other musicians, um, and and I just want to know, like from like from your perspective, like in your experience, what is it like being you in a genre and in a business that is um, not necessarily very pro woman and not pro like young woman. Well, you know, I think that, I mean, it, it's obviously been very difficult. Like, it, I would be lying if I said it wasn't. And there's, you know, many reasons. I think being a woman, I think being a white woman, ghostwriting for rappers is like a weird thing. Um, but I think that as much as I can play like, oh, it's been harder, because obviously people want to sleep with you. They want to over-sexualize you. They want to, they think you're stupid a lot of times, not anymore necessarily, but like, you know, men will be like, oh, you, don't, you you know how to use a computer? And I'm like, <laughs> no, tell me how. How do you turn it on? Like, uh, oh, my God. Just, you know, <clears throat> I mean, it's crazy. And sometimes you have to play that game of like, or I used to in the past, like playing like inferior, um, you know, because sometimes that's the way to get ahead. But I think now for me, like, the best thing about it is like, that is kind of, being a woman and being who I am authentically. And like, now that I'm really comfortable being authentic, like I think it's actually, there is no problems with it necessarily. And what I mean by that is like, you know, whereas when I was constantly thinking about that, then other people were reacting from that place. And I really think that everything is like how I set it up and how I carry myself in. And so now like, you know, there's still weird things that happen sometimes like a rapper who will be unnamed uh, like came out of the studio at like three in the morning. I was like, what nationality are you? I'm like, uh, Italian. And he's like, Oh, so you're a freak. And I was like, um, I what? no, uh, excuse me. <laughs> wow. Mom, where's my mom? And he was like, pulled out like a handful of condoms and a bottle of liquor. And I was like, I'm sorry, bro. Are you Wu Tang? Like, this is not the nineties. Like, what are you doing? That's insane. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep with you in a hallway. Absolutely not. Um, 
So I think, but now because I don't, I, I don't even think about it anymore. I think people just react differently because you kind of set the tone with your mind a lot of times. Mm-hmm. I noticed that in your in your music videos too. Like you're you're very comfortable being in the center. Um, you know, in the center of the shot, in the front of the frame, you know, up close at the camera, um, your, uh, your confidence comes across really well. Um, and I think that many, you know, many budding female artists simply don't have that. Like, like you said, they kind of fall back on their sexuality or they're falling back on good production to sort of carry them through the first single or two and then, you know, hopefully get something out of that. But um, I wonder. How- well, yeah, I think that's scary. I mean, even for me, like I, I feel like I had I had more confidence before I like went to a major label and stuff like that. Because what happens is, like you know, obviously labels kind of break you down, and also like on the YouTube comments, people are just savages. I'm like, do you have any? Like, where did you come from? Um, you know, but I think I've just learned how to really be okay with myself. And as a result, like, that translates. I believe that. One of the most amazing things about Syra isn't just her creativity or her ability to work with other people who are extremely different from her, but it's her recovery. Her story is amazing because she really has defied the odds, not only in terms of getting sober and staying sober as a musician, but she's come a long way from where she started. You are, you got sober at 17, is that right? Yeah. Oh, you're like a unicorn. I know. You are like a unicorn. And I didn't even go to treatment. Yes. (laughs) I want to hear this story. I want to hear the whole story. Okay, first of all, I mean... I, I'm, you know, like you, I'm an, I'm an alcoholic. I'm in recovery from heroin addiction. Um, I knew it was a bad idea as I picked up my first drink, you know, 100%. I, you know, it's like, I should have gotten sober at 17. And like so many people just chose to ignore those instincts and go ahead and chase the dragon. Um, but, but how did you know that you were an alcoholic and how on earth did you manage to stop at such a young age? Well, um, I mean, I kind of knew out the gate. My mom's got 31 years clean, and my dad relapsed at 13 years clean and died from a heroin overdose, and I grew up, like, in a trailer in the woods, like, taking care of my father as he was shooting dope. Um, And, you know, eventually the cops came and found me, and he passed away, and, you know, it was all really tragic. So when I started using, uh, I started using at 10, and when I started using, I made a decision to do that full time. So it wasn't like, Oh, I'm just, I mean, I, I, you know, there was moments when I was like, Oh, I'm just having fun. But like, really I was running from my feelings immediately. Um, so there was no kind of like luxury of thinking that maybe it was just a phase. Yeah. And (laughs) and, you know, like I wasn't like, Oh, crystal meth, just a phase. Like, no, (laughs) that's not normal. Okay. You know, like, if you're cooking in a trailer, it's not a face. Um, but so, you know, so, it, and it progressed so quickly for me because the truth was is that I, I really believed that I was broken. And so nothing could fill me. There was just not enough. It was never enough. And so it progressed, you know, pretty rapidly. And when I moved to Los Angeles, um, I was like running from foster care and, you know, um, 
it just always got progressively worse. And so my behavior was also worse. It wasn't like I was just addicted to drugs. Like I was addicted to selling guns and stealing cars and Mm -hmm. dating guys that got shot in the head. And, you know, there was like a series of things. So I was never really in denial about the fact that something was very wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Like I was like, this is not normal. Yeah. It was easy to like draw the connection. Right. Yeah. And honestly, by the time I was 17, my ears were bleeding from the membrane and they thought I was going to be permanently deaf. Um, and I was completely insane. Wow. So, so I didn't have the illusion. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the reasons that it takes some people so long is that, you know, we have the negative consequences, but the one-to-one correlation between like, Hey, this addictive behavior or this action or this substance is the direct cause of the misery in your life. I think it takes some of us a really long time to get that. A hundred percent. I think because I grew up in recovery, Mm. I didn't really have that, you know, kind of mind state and, And because I already had so much information about what was potentially going to be wrong with me, I kind of just had to get really high. So it just went quick. And I I had also gotten kidnapped and uh, not to go like too deep. I'm like, hey, 2 p.m. on a sunny day. Let me tell you about my. But uh, (laughs) let's let's do it. That, um, yeah, I ended up when I came to L.A., I ended up getting kidnapped by like three men and, you know, brutalized and all of the, you know, lifetime movie things that you can imagine happen. And so what that did was just like propelled me further into drugs. So it's like I hit a bottom really quick. Um, not really quick. I mean, it was like seven years of agony, but it, it went faster for me because it was I have no chill. Yeah, <laughs> so, same. You know, no I do chill. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And every, every, yeah, it's, it's like, it's so hard being in that state of mind because like every negative thing that happens is just another nail in the coffin. You know, I think that where Completely. A, a normal person would like pull their head up and be like, Oh fuck, I got to get out of here. This is not my life. You know, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. Like those of us who do have addiction are like, welp, you know, worst, you know, <laughs> yeah. worst beliefs confirmed. We are fucked. We are going down with the ship. <laughs> Well, and I was addicted to being a victim. Mm. You know, that's the other thing is like, I loved all those. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong because people get confused by that. But like, it's not like I loved what happened to me and it, it, because it was also just really not my fault in a lot of situations. But at the same time, I was addicted to being a victim. I was addicted to being broken. I was really attached to the idea that there was something really wrong with me. And as a result of that, everything in my life reflected that. And there was some weird sense of comfort in tragedy for me for a long time. Yeah. So, so in spite of that, like, I mean, you, you come off as this very strong, very capable person. Um, Like you said, your, your opinion of yourself changed. So you're able to sort of project this true self, um, this sober, you know, grown up self. Um, how were you? Oh, am I grown up? You seem like mean, you're of age. You could probably vote. I was yes. in the studio till six a.m. Yeah, <laughs> am I a grown up? You're I'm a rapper. Come on! I thought that was part of the deal. 
It is. It is. That's why I'm like, wait, am I an adult or not? Yeah, you may be a grown-up, but you don't have to be an adult unless you want to. Um, Okay, good. I'm never growing up. Never. Uh, Never. So, so like, coming from that place, like, with the trauma and the loss and the drugs and booze and all that stuff, like, how did you end up actually getting sober and making the switch? Um, Honestly, I was living in Inglewood with 12 men. We were, like, fighting a revolution against the man that was holding us down. Um, I had no eyebrows. I, <laughs> I thought I was a chola. Oh my I'd, God. I like, draw them on. I was always like surprised, you know, <laughs> 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 my eyebrow shape was really aggressive. Um, <laughs> a life in eyebrows. But, <laughs> yeah, it was like very, very dark. Wow. Um, but I just had this like weird moment. Of, I didn't believe in God or anything like that. Um, when I when I got clean, there was absolutely no way that there was anything spiritual happening in the world. But I had this like moment. I, I like looked into the mirror and I was like, "Wait a second! I don't." It was like this moment, and it, it basically just said to me, "Like, I don't think life is supposed to be like this. Like, this is not supposed to be the way that this turned out for you." And that feeling. Um, was coupled by the fact that my mom came and found me because my granny was visiting. And uh, my granny's got 31 years clean, too. And she's, like, you know, super, super intense. You know, like, she 12 steps, like, everybody at the groceries. You know what I mean? Like, she's yeah. very, like, you know, it's, like, a lot. She's on and, the book. Um, <laughs> like, one time she met my band, and, like, they obviously, like, drink and do whatever. And she's, like, your liver is going to die alone or something. <laughs> I was like, Granny, oh, chill, bro. It's, like, it's, it's rough, all good, dude. dude. <laughs> do you. Like, but she came, and uh, and I went to go see them, and every morning she gave me a plate of food, and I had to scrape it off into my dresser drawer. And she didn't say anything. She, you know, the woman who 12 steps everybody didn't say anything. And I could just, it was like the first time where I was like sucked back into my body and had to experience like the exact nature of my wrongs. Like not what had happened to me, but what I was choosing to do to the people in my life. And I made a decision and honestly, I was homeless for my first few years clean. Um, I slept at the train station at Union Station and then I went and moved into a garage in East L.A., and I would refer to it as, like, a cabin on a lake. I was like, oh, it's so rustic. But really, like, when it rained, the doors would swell shut, and I'd have to phone a friend. And, like, <laughs> I had a sponsee, and she would come over, and we would do, like, step work with, like, 12 space heaters next to a car. Oh, and she's still with me today. I'm like, what was wrong with you? <laughs> like, why did you choose me? <laughs> because something is right with you. <laughs> well, I definitely, yeah, I mean... I had actually found her at, like, a Denny's, so she had to stick with me because she didn't realize how strange my life was. There you go. Ride or die. She wanted what you had. She was like, if, was like, if you're not going to do drugs and live next to a car, I guess this might work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's real. You should be getting high. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Although addiction and recovery are a huge part of Syrah's story, it's not necessarily part of her music. She doesn't sing directly about her addiction, but it's part of who she is and part of herself that she won't deny. In fact, the longer that she's stayed sober, the more she's learned about her deep sense of self, 
her authenticity, and how it's important to be a human being and not a brand. I think about, like, you know, it's actually funny. Before, and this is something I've been struggling with because my music has not followed my authentic self. And I think that, I mean, it has, but it's mostly about, like, who I was before. And so what I'm doing with my new project is, like, really telling the truth. Like, on this new song I just did, um, it's called Deadbeat, and it's like, uh, I'm going to leave you like a deadbeat dad. Um, which is like really heavy, but it's basically talking about like, it, it kind of like how <clears throat> none of my friends have fathers and sort of how, you know, um, I think I say like young Oprah on the track and talk about doing a Ted talk and like, so I've been really trying to be more authentic in my music. Cause sometimes, you don't. there's so many different forms of creative expression for me that I don't realize that I'm not being the exact person that I am right now. Yeah. I think there's a you lot know, of emphasis. And that's the struggle. On, yeah. It is, I mean, it is. And, and like, I feel like for me, my biggest, like one of the biggest gifts that I got in my recovery was the ability to change, you know, to like change yeah. my mind and change who I am and try different shit out. And, um, I think that now, you know, there's such an emphasis on brand and, you know, making yourself into a product or making yourself into something that can be recognized and bought and sold. And, um, you know, in, in my creative work, like I, I try to allow that wiggle room, you know, where, where I can still play, where I I don't have to be the same person tomorrow that I am today. A hundred percent. I think that's the thing too, is like, it's, it's constantly evolving. Like people are like, wait, why are you doing? Cause I write for other artists and I love doing that. They're like, why do you like that? Like, cause a lot of people think that's like a, a waste of your creative talent. And I'm like, no, cause I am all of these people. Like I am a cute little pop princess and I am like a grown black man. And I am like, this is my whole life coming together for me finally. <laughs> like, That's amazing. I love that. I'm all of these people. <laughs> that is so cool. That's so you cool. Know, and I think it's, um, it's funny because my TED talk uh, was on superposition and I didn't know what that meant and felt like much shame. Oh. But what it is, is being everything at the same time. So you can be a daughter and a wife and a rapper and someone who does yoga, but also like I curse when I do motivational, you know, like you don't have to be any one thing because there's no way that's possible. We are all many things at the same time. That is true. So it sounds like uh, from that, like it sounds like your definition of success isn't necessarily about creating oneself, but like having access to your many selves. Absolutely. I think, and I also think, I mean, success to me, if I told you what success to me was like five years ago, because it was so based in fear, it would have been like, be the biggest star in the, because I had so much like anxiety about being successful because I actually had such low self-esteem that like that I, what I thought was success would like make me like prove to everybody like how I deserve to be loved and what it was all like very crazy. But success for me now is, like, just really getting in touch with, like, who I am in all my different forms and, like, the humility of just, like, really loving all of those little pieces, all the little baby side, and connecting that with other people so I can, you know, help them figure out who their authentic self is. And that's, like, 
success. And when the other thing is when you have that, you know, everything else follows, like money follows, you know, relationships, everything else is just based upon how I feel about myself. Uh, That is true. I was, I was wondering, like, you know, you've, you've done collaborations. Um, The one that really jumped out at me was Skrillex, obviously. The man of many haircuts. Um, <laughs> he's really something. Um, but like, I, I wonder, like, if your flexibility, like your your the fluidity of your talent, like if that's if how you feel that's benefited you when you do collaborate. Well, you know what's so funny. So, like, when I signed to Atlantic, they were like, "You have to pick a lane," and I was like, "What?" I had like six A and R's. I had like a pop dude, an EDM guy, a pop. Uh, wrapped. It was too much, but they were like, you have to figure out who you are. And I was like, I think this is who I am. Um, is all of these different people. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I think, you know, with Skrill- with Skrillex collaborating with him, it's just like, you know, he would either send me, like Bangarang, I recorded in my bed, um, you know, and then just sent him vocals back. And Kyoto, we recorded at the Kyoto Hotel in downtown LA. And, you know, it was like all those things. And like Demi Lovato, even that collaboration, like all of these are just like different pieces of who I am. Lupe Fiasco, same thing. Like it's all just these little pieces. So I think it's funny that the thing that they thought was really wrong with me, like being all these things at once is actually like my greatest strength. Cause I can go, you know, rap on an EDM song or do a pop song or, you know, sing in, you know, on Lupe Fiasco's track. And, you know, it's, I don't know. I think it's just kind of the time for that too. I think 2017 opened up a lot of doors and 2016 where you can be a bunch of different things and genres are kind of like all over the place. I agree. And I think that, you know, as much as we do say, hey, you got to pick a lane, you got to know that one inner authentic self, like, I think that the future is the ability to adapt and change. A hundred percent. So you you mentioned your fears. Um, What scares you today? What are you afraid of? I think what scares me today is because what scares me today is really just, you know, regression. Because what happens is, is, and this is like, people can pretend like, oh, I'm just always turning it over and like being a beautiful blossoming flower. It's like, wow. that's bullshit. That's Must not be nice. true. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what's that like? You drink a green juice and do a yoga and you're done? You have no fears? Um, <laughs> that's great. Uh, but I think the only thing that really like, it's not even a fear necessarily because I, I think I've really like, canceled out a lot of fear my the only things that I struggle with in this exact moment is like my sister is an addict and um you know is uh doesn't want to be clean and you know so that's one thing and and, but in terms of my career the only thing is is like just being afraid of getting caught up in the hype regardless and because that's something that happened before and I still held on to who I was but everybody else's like fears and you know, hopes and whatever, like completely attach themselves to me. And so moving forward, I've really detached myself from the hype of the idea of success. So whether I do well or I do bad, um, you know, my, my hope for moving forward is that I still don't attach myself to it because sometimes 
you know, I, I'm not allowed to look at YouTube comments because I know that that takes away my, you know, spirituality. Like it robs me of feeling good. And so just moving forward, I think my fear is like, you know, you can slide into like what people think about you. Yeah. And that's just something I have no interest in. So that's really it. I mean, the other thing too is just like being an artist, like your biggest fear is being irrelevant. But at this point, I've already kind of like burned that bridge because I was relevant and then I was irrelevant and I'll be relevant to get, you know, it's like, it just Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's because I'm still relevant in people's lives. And that's what I've found is like, that's all that really matters. And it seems to be what gives you the most joy. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's even why I've been able to make music because if you listen to my early stuff, I was garbage. Oh. But I still like managed to do, do you know what I mean though? Like I was never the most talented. Like I wasn't the prettiest, like none of those things were happening, but I was the most, I had the most perseverance. Yeah. And I was, I've done really crazy things with like bad music and still managed to be successful. So it's kind of like, I feel like God or the universe was like, yo, you're, you're going to do this. You're not even going to be the best. You're going to be subpar and we're still going to make this happen <laughs> for you because you need to help people. That's amazing. No, that, <laughs> yeah. that is what defines the champion is the willingness to run the extra mile in the rain uphill. Exactly. I've met a lot of. You become good at it. You do, and like it comes. I mean, for me, like there's a joy in that. You know, like I've met a lot of very, very, very talented people who were way better than me um, at really anything. And um, where are they now? (laughs) Yeah, one hundred percent. I I have no idea because they didn't. You know, they didn't claim their spot on the map, and I'm still here swinging in my subpar fashion. <laughs> yeah, no, it's real though. It is. It's like, and I'm actually grateful now that I've been like subpar a lot of the time. Cause if, the, if I raise the bar even slightly, I'm doing great. Like people, <laughs> I feel like with the new stuff, cause everything's really old. People are going to be like, wow. Cause I had such a, you know, a middle ground bar for a long time. Yeah. So, I'm excited to hear it. When, when does your new stuff come out? Um, so my, my release date is in June. We might be doing singles before that. Um, I have, I mean, honestly, if I died right now, I would be like Tupac. I'd have albums coming out for like 30 years because oh. I have so much music. But he's still alive. I mean, obviously. <laughs> Are you kidding? Of course he is. He must be. I need this. <laughs> That's why I came to LA. I was, they were like, you can either go to foster care or Los Angeles. And I was like, I'm going to find Tupac Shakur. Okay. (laughs) Did he call you? Did Tupac call you? (laughs) No, I found his crew, though. I found some people from Thug Life and got into a little SWAT team situation. It was fine. Just a standard Tuesday, you know? Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, we will be watching for the album in June. Um, I think you are fucking fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, I really love you. Oh, I'm not I love just you saying back. That. Like you're really. I'm gonna call you if I feel sad. Absolutely. <laughs> you and me, <laughs> Tupac. We'll we'll get a conference call going. It'll all be good. <laughs> oh, I love that. Maybe we could just hologram ourselves in. You know, like 2017. <gasps> yes, the future is now. <laughs> yeah, the uh, age of not being present while being present. I love it. So we'll get dope. a green juice. We'll talk. <laughs> <laughs>
rapper, daughter, TED talker, Tupac hunter. Syra is a lot of things, and she's a wonderful ball of energy, fun, and bliss. I had such a great time talking to her, and I can't wait to see what's next for this amazing young artist. Tune in next time for the AddictionUnscripted.com podcast season finale. I'll talk with you soon. Thanks for listening.